Hey guys, welcome to the Wooden Cross Podcast. This is your host Im Long and let's get started with this new episode. This is episode 13 and in this episode I continue my discussion with Ms. Penrillo Kikon. So this is Politics of Translation Part 2. And in case you have not listened to the previous episode, I highly recommend that you listen to episode 12 before you start this new episode. So in this episode, we discuss about the problems of translation in our local Bibles. So to stay tuned. Moving on with our discussion, I want to change track from now this general particular discussions on translation to, to a very particular important text. Now that is the Bible. Can we apply the politics of translation into biblical translation process? When we talk about the biblical translation process, I can speak from the Lotha biblical translation point of view. Yeah, because I belong to the Lotha community. I think when the translation, the first translation took place, the translators were never given the opportunity to learn the original languages or to use the last 300 years of scholarship on biblical translation or to translate the Bible even from a critical version because we only used the Good News Bible. So I think that sort of demeans the Lotha cultural identity and value. Probably the Lothas were seen as too simplistic to be able to learn the original languages or too simplistic to be able to learn the scholarship on biblical translation. I don't know, we can never say. And this problem, it intensifies because us Lothas as the colonized other, we have also been bought into this colonial narrative. So we have made very little effort to contribute to our own cultural identity. Rich resources of the Lotha culture, it, it was never given an opportunity to be made visible in the translation of the Lotha Bible. So even the Lotha language, I mean, even in its classical form, it has a rich semantic density, but it never got the opportunity to be expressed in the text of the Lotha Bible. So I think it is because of this politics of translation that the Lotha cultural horizon has been undermined and the translator's horizon. The translator here, when I talk about the translator, it would be the American missionaries and the source text would be the Good News Bible. Those are the horizons that have gained prominence. So I think, yeah, this is one of the factors that come in in biblical translation. So in any kind of translations, be it poetry, fiction or play, the end through the act of translation is to convey the meaning of the text. Right? But meaning gets an autonomy when it is taken out, out from its original setting and context, which is called the distancing of the text. There are three things involved in this. One is authorial intention, as we have already discussed before also. And the author is the, the original world in, or the context in which the author wrote. And the third is the reader's own context or the original reader of the text. Now, in, in, in terms of biblical translations, works on, in the Bible, now how do we bring that meaning out? When we talk about specifically biblical translation, I think there's a theological problem because on the one hand, we have the notion that the original text is sacred and authoritative it's more sacred and authoritative than the rendering and so it must be respected and reproduced exactly as it is. But on the other hand, what is sacred and authoritative is the meaning that is conveyed in the outward form of the original language. And that is what it must be respected and conveyed. So uh, I think in practice, biblical translators negotiate between these two extremes. 
both practically and psychologically. And so I think it is in this negotiation that the practice of linguistic hospitality comes up. Because when we talk about translation, as you rightly said, we have the authorial intention, the world or context in which the author wrote, and then the original reader of the text. So when we take the task of translation into consideration, I think I would club authorial intention and original world of the author together as one, and then the original reader of the text as another, and then the translator which would come in. See, the tricky thing about uh, discussing biblical translation is that we do not have access to the original sources anymore. For example, when we talk about the Septuagint translation from Hebrew to Greek, we have no idea which original Hebrew text they used. These are all conjectured. So I think that is one of the tricky things that comes in. In order to sort of simplify it or in order to make it more clear, when we look at the biblical text, I want to see it as the source text. And when we talk about the source text, it is already contextualized within its historical context out of which it was written. So for us, it is the original context of the biblical text in which the Bible was written, right? And then this text also belongs to a wider web called the world of text or literature, and it goes down through a historical chain of transmission. So the biblical source text already has a long tradition of transmission and translation. All this together can constitute the horizon of the source text and this needs to be highlighted. So the horizon of the source text consists of the circumstantial milieu that produced the original Bible text as well as the history of its translation and how it was transmitted from that time to our present generation. So it is quite a huge task, I think, to be able to encompass all that. Culturally, ethnically, linguistically, now when you compare now our context to the original setting, now there is a vast difference. And then I think there is no close affinity to what the first reader or the writer or the context to which we can relate, right? Now it has been like more than 2,000 years that we are still reading those texts in our context now. This gap of almost 2,000 years, does it change the setting of the text in our context? Does the meaning get lost in the process of translations from what the original setting meant it to be? Like I said before, when we talk about biblical translation, that's quite tricky because if the Bible is inspired and uh, authoritative, then there should be only one meaning and that meaning in its pristine form has to be transferred from one generation to another. And I believe that that has been done in the process of translation. Even though it has taken different shapes and forms, I believe that in the whole process of translation and transmission, that has happened, but we still have the meaning of the text with us. There are three things, right, when you talk about the biblical text. The text has been inspired, the text being inerrant and then infallible. Those texts was produced in the first century AD. Does the spirit of the inspiration, does the mode of inerrancy and infallibility still continues in what we have as our local Bible? These are theological terms that, that were introduced to us by the early church fathers. I don't know, when we think about it, especially when we think about the Old Testament, such terms were not even 
in their horizon they were not even guided by such terms probably no like for example when the septuagint was translated by the according to legends by the 70 translators we do not know what kind of theological frameworks they had what kind of theological beliefs they had that would have guided them in their translation process and we cannot speak for them as well because we do not even know who the translators are but when we compare like septuagint is important because it's the first translation of the old testament so that is quite important for us and when we compare the hebrew and the greek there's so many variations between the two there's so many additions and subtractions and so many replacement of words that took place so we might even question whether the translators really held such views but then again uh, there are other scholars who would argue that um, the translators knew the sacredness of the text and so they were guided by that but then again on the other hand it seems like they took free reins in cutting out large chunks of the bible and adding their own interpretation or their own thoughts to it or in fact simplifying certain complex theologies to their readers i don't know it's a difficult question and i don't think there's really a black and white answer to it <laughs> so you have mentioned in the beginning part of our discussion uh, about the different methods and the different principles of translations that there there are something called the word to word translation thoughts to thoughts translations and there are also free translations and then maybe uh, can you take us through those methods um, of translations and then when we come back to our own local context now uh, how does that work does all methods get incorporated in the bible translations or are we just to take one form of translations and then go ahead with that method earlier when i talked about uh, the word for word translation and the sense for sense translation these are generally two big categories that translation theories would fall into when you say word for word the translator would sort of try to make the text as accurate as possible to the source text i can't think of examples right now but there are certain instances in the septuagint where the translator tried to be as close to the source text as possible whereby Uh, the translator would use words which would reflect the hebrew syntax and hebrew structure closer closely rather than reflecting the greek structure or syntax those sort of translations can be seen in the greek text as well and for sense for sense translation i think the translator would take the freedom of taking a text understanding it and conveying the meaning of it in a language or a language structure that would be more relatable to the target audience so the target audience would be the main priority of the translator and if there are cases where words or sentences do not make sense the translator might even um forego those words and try to bring a translation that is suitable to the target audience so uh these two things where one gives priority to the source text uh and the other where uh, one gives priority to the target text but then again as i said earlier uh these are just two extremities um these are just two like polarities where i'm trying to highlight the problems of course there's a wide spectrum of theories that come in between them where 
both are used in translation where one overlaps the other so um, I think when the actual biblical translation takes place they would resort to either free or uh, word for word but then again when it comes to translating texts of prose and texts of poetry um, it becomes really difficult because poetry when you translate it literally it will lose its flavor it would lose its meaning i think because the intricacies that one language captures in its language structure would not be captured by another language so in the case of translation of poetry uh, there's more of a sense for sense translation now so you've talked about different methods of translations uh, word to word thoughts for thought Uh, literal translations and and phrase translations now to which category will you uh, place our local bibles the lotha bible it was translated with the bible society of india and i think the theory that theory of translation that the bible society of india would be dynamic equivalence where the meaning is given importance the conveyance of meaning is given importance in the process of translation And I'll have to be honest I haven't read the Bible cover to cover in Lotha language even once. So especially in comparison with um the original Hebrew or Greek text. So I cannot exactly say that okay this is literal or this is free. I mean I think these are uh theories that would sort of creep in when you are doing your translation. But uh one of the important things that I noticed when I was doing my studies was this was one of the reasons why I became interested in translation studies and all that because uh when I was looking at the variations and studying them in the Lotha Bible the Lotha Bible reflects the Good News English Bible translation. See I don't want to put anything into boxes because I think in the process of translation all these factors would come in. both free and literal and all these factors would come in in the process of translation so it's not easy to put anything into boxes right now let me just cite an example again for the reading of the king james version now we would call it as a dynamic equivalence can we put that into that category i think word to word translation right king james version can be considered as a word to word translation of course i think i understand that there are maybe some thoughts for thoughts as well but then generally the main principle that underlies king james is word to word now when you talk about nrsv or the new international versions and all now those are considered as thought for thought translations and now again there are many translations there are hundreds of translations available now in the market the easy reading bible which is completely different from what the original text conveys to us in in terms of the usage of language and meaning right that's how bible is being translated and now when you come back to your own house when you come back to your own tour now even in terms of our translations now let me cite an example of our translation chang translation yeah even it was done through psi only not very long ago uh, the new testament was out in the 80s early 80s and the uh, old testament came into existence just as we entered into a new millennium so somewhere around 2002 we got the bible even for a trained theologian or even for a trained pastor 
even for myself personally i find it very difficult to read the bible in in terms of understanding what the meaning is all about so we rely heavily on english translation right so that's why in the beginning itself i i, I said because of our shortage we, our language is not as equipped as the greek the hebrew or the english that's that's why that's where i came from actually it's not so easy to understand for even for a, a trained theologian or even for a trained pastors let alone for a lay reader how would you change those now if you are translating a lot of bible for example now how would you change those difficulties in terms of and how make it little bit reader friendly for everyone in in that sense hmm that's a very interesting question i for me personally i think that uh when a local language is being translated we need to take recourse to the original languages the hebrew and the greek and of course take into consideration the historical setting and uh, also the chain of transmission that has taken place and not simply rely on one english version of the bible i think that would be very important because for example there is this verse in psalms which says be still and know that i am god in the english language we have be still but when it was translated into the lotha language it was translated i am translating it back to english for you it was translated as stop the war which was really different from what the so so when i compared the two i had to go back to the original to see what the original had said and the original would be like something like let go or it, it had the meaning of letting go or something like that so i think not just recourse to the english but going back to the original is very important for us especially when pastors would theologize or would preach their sermons from lotha translated bible the way it has been translated would affect the way they interpret the text so i think in the process of translation it is very important to go back to the original how we would do that i don't know that's a really big question and in my research i'm mostly focusing on the differences between the greek and the hebrew and i was told at the beginning of my research that if i i because i wanted to do something about uh, implications for the lotha bible translation as well but i was told that this would be a totally different project a totally different thesis because it's too vast so i have not really focused on the methodological aspects of translating a text into the lotha language so that would be a totally different a project probably after i complete my phd and would be like something like a postdoctoral uh, project but right now um yeah i'm limited my 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 information or my expertise is limited to just this student yeah let me move on to a grammatical issue now now when you read a hebrew text or a greek text the imperatives are very uh, prominent right we can identify those imperative commands this is an imperative mood the mood of the language the mood of the usage of the language or grammar is very evident in the writing itself now even in english in english let's let's talk about genesis now let there be light which is an imperative command now but when you read a local bible as we have also discussed our language is more mostly in terms of oral oral transmissions and oral usage we use language just as it comes and just as it flows not giving much consideration to the grammatical principle or the grammatical composition so coming back to the question now the imperatives in the bible there are lots of commands which are in imperative and which has to be taken 
as a commandment. How, how do you see that uh, problem now? How do you bring out those imperative elements in our local Bible and then let the reader understand that yeah, this is an imperative and it has to be obeyed you know, in the process of translation? Because as I've said, many of the, many of the things that are conveyed are lost in translation in our local Bible. And so that's why I have been, I was a little bit critical on those issues now when when we talk about our local translations as and when we talk about our language as being limited in usage and limited in writing, yeah. If we talk about replicating the language structure, the semantic structure, the grammatical structure from one language to another, we would be falling into this category of trying to be as literal as possible. To the source text and I think that would be uh, problematic because um, for instance the Hebrew grammatical structure is so rich and varied and the way they use their grammar to emphasize their points it, it's very interesting to study and read all that but for us I don't know how far we can replicate that into our language and whether it is even possible at all. So, for example, I was giving you the example from uh, Psalms, right? The be still and know. So, there are two imperatives used there in Hebrew, be still and know. So, when two imperatives are used together, the second imperative is given prominence and, and the reader is made known that the second imperative that has more weightage than the first one. So the emphasis given there is on knowing God rather than being still. So uh, those kind of word play comes in when we look at the grammar. But then again, that would not be reflected in the Greek grammatical structure or I don't know if that would be reflected in the English and then to our local language. So there is obviously this difficulty of trying to replicate the grammatical structure. So in that sense, I think the losing uh, when Riker talks about mourning the loss, I think in the process of translation, that aspect also comes in. And probably, I don't know about the imperatives, but probably these are some of the things that we might be losing out from the source text when we are translating. But then again, in our own language structure, I think there are certain things that are quite rich and which would not naturally be there in the source text but which would make our language text more meaningful. So there is like a sort of a give and take where in some cases we lose out, but I think in other cases we might be able to add more value or add more meaning to a text. Yeah, so we have discussed much on the structure, the intricacies and the problems in the process of translations, but let me just ask you a very plain and may not be a very simple question, but then personally as a Christian, as a scholar, research scholar now, when you read the Bible, how would you read the Bible now? Would you rather give more importance to the message that the Bible is conveying or would you give more importance to the text, to the language structure? Would you approach the Bible just as a spiritual text or again, on the other hand, would you approach the Bible text with the language and the problems that in mind? The question seems simple, but it, it is kind of complicated because I cannot disassociate myself with the baggages that I come with when I come to the Bible now. 
at this present stage. I cannot be a totally neutral person who has no knowledge of Hebrew and Greek and come to the English text as it is. Right. Whenever I come to the Bible, I would prefer to refer to the original text. Of course, the meaning is important, so I would go back to the meaning from the original text. And especially while reading the Lotha Bible also, it becomes much more interesting because you have a lot of other texts to compare it with and to see what kind of meaning it is actually trying to bring out. We have discussed many things about uh, the problems, the intricacies that is that underlies the process of translation. And as we have discussed, as we have said before, translation is a never-ending process and even these discussions on the topic of translations will go on and on. I think as we go into more research and as we do more uh, work on those aspects, more clear things will come out our way and then on how to approach the text or how to translate. Because we have also taken out few issues that are that underlies our local translations. And, and then there are many things. But um, I thank you for coming to the show and enlightening us with all these problems in the literary translations and how this is affecting even our Bible and our translation in our context. So thank you so much, Ben, for coming to the show. Any last comment for the listener of the podcast before we say goodbye? Uh, thank you so much, Imlong, for inviting me to this podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking about stuff which I'm passionate about, which I'm researching on. And yeah, all this is still in the process of research. And I think um, I would like to apologize if the podcast has been uh, very on the theoretical level and not much on the practical level. Because, yeah, we are still dealing with theories and I think it's important to get all these theoretical um, issues sorted before we get into the practical level. And I still haven't gotten myself deep into the practical level of translating from from one language to another. So apologies for that and thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all we have for this episode. Do tune in next week. Do follow the podcast in Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and share with your friends and families. And I'll catch you all in the next episode.